0: The stakes are high as I th- think about delivering this morning's message. My I want you to know my heart this morning. It's to encourage you. Uh, I wanna I want to strengthen you. And those of you that need to be comforted, I hope that this message comforts you. I, I I've been praying and, and I'm hoping and praying that this message will breathe hope uh, into your lives whether you're single or married divorced um, today we're going to talk about commitment in marriage we're going to talk about naked promises and the weight of this it's just it has weighed on me all week because I I know in this audience uh, we have we have everything we have people that are single that want to be married we have uh, people that have never been married, that really want to be married, and, and you're not 22 anymore. We have people that have been divorced more than once and remarried. We have people that are uh, married and miserable. And we have people that are married and thriving and flourishing and everything in between. And today's message, there, there's a tension between commitment and staying, and sticking it out, and biblical foundations and reasons to be divorced, and we're going to talk about those this morning, and um, my prayer is that your heart would not be defensive, or resistant, or yeah, but, or elbowing the person that you came with that you're married to, but that you would... In a sense, I kind of want to hold up a mirror. And for some of you this morning, I, I'm, I'm I just I'm, for all of us, I'm praying that God speaks to you today through this message. So we're going to do an object lesson. It's going to be hard for some of you. But if you're married or you're with your significant other, I want you to grab their hand. And here's the object lesson. As a metaphor for sticking with it, I want you to hold that hand for the whole sermon. Don't let go. See, see, some of you are like, I can't do it. We're talking thirty minutes. You got this. You got this. Because if you can't do thirty minutes, you're not going to do thirty years. And you know it's interesting. We get when we get married, we can't keep our hands off each other. And then you get married for thirty-five years, and now we don't even hold hands, right? What happens in between there? We're going to talk about that this morning. And so keep holding hands, and if. If somehow, just because out of habit, you, you break that handhold to scratch your head or, or whatever, just, okay, oops, forgot it, forgive me, I'm back, I'm back, you re-grab that hand. So we've been talking for the last several weeks about God's dream for marriage. We talked about building your home, your house on the rock two foundations the the rock the sand the storms come in every marriage but the couple that builds their house on the strong foundation on god's word not just hearing it but putting it into practice that house and that home flourish they thrive the couple that hears god's word but does not put it into practice when the storms come that house collapses the difference Both couples hear the Word of God. It's not enough to read the Bible and have a quiet time. Not enough to come to church. There's a lot of people we talked about that call themselves Christians, but they're jerks to live with. (laughs) That's not God's dream. God's dream is that we would hear the Word, that it would get planted in our hearts, and that our lives are responsive to it. We actually live it out. We love each other. We choose love because love's a verb, it's an action word, it's a choice and a decision that we make. So we talked about building our our marriages on the rock, and then Jono talked about expectations, unrealistic expectations, unmet expectations as we come. And that was such a powerful message, And, 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 and some of us in this series have had to shift, make a shift, readjust our expectations into our marriages and then of course we talked about the myth of the greener grass and we talked about attention and affection right and appreciation and the three two one and you can do this and we've been doing that it's been fantastic and then I just so appreciated Scott and Jamie last week we watched it I watched it online and uh, learning how do we talk about that, whatever your that is, that the hard stuff, whether it be sex or money or hurt feelings, um, the taboo subjects that are awkward and uncomfortable and we tend to avoid and stay away from. And I just so appreciated that one line that, uh, that hard doesn't mean bad. I was part of the Team World Vision Cycling. We, we cycled 70 miles yesterday, and it was hard. I'm still struggling, man. I'm like, whoa, that was hard. But it's not bad. It was hard. But we stuck together, and, 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 and we made it. Although I got a flat tire at about mile 67 and had to walk home. It was the walk of shame. <laughs> but hard is not bad. And I really appreciate that. So today, we're going to finish with this message on commitment. So let's just for a moment forget about God's dream for marriage. Let's just put that on the side for a moment. And this morning, I want to introduce you to a different thought about marriage. A happy marriage is a me marriage. What's a me marriage? It's all about me my needs, my desires, my fulfillment, my happiness, my personal satisfaction. My wife Natalie exists to serve me, to give me what I want. Her job's to make my life better. So she better be smoking hot physically, intellectually stimulating, financially secure, She better have a great sense of humor, be emotionally supportive, and a freak in bed. And that's what some of us come into marriage with these expectations. And when our wife or our husband doesn't meet those, I'm out. I didn't sign up for this. Marriage, according to the Bible, is not about me. Some of you were raised in homes where you saw your parents. It was a me marriage. That was kind of the home I grew up in. It was a me marriage. It was an unhealthy marriage, watching my mom and dad who ended up getting divorced. Because it was a me marriage. But the Bible says marriage is about us, us, us. Not me, but us. Genesis 2.25, our theme verse. It says that the man and his wife, they were naked and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. What does that mean? It means that God wants you and me in our marriages to, to be known and to be loved. To be accepted and accepted and supported, to be forgiving and to be kind because we see the nakedness. We see each other as we really are, warts and all, and we stay together. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28, he writes this, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. All you single people, did you read that? (laughs) Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And there are some of you this morning that know that firsthand. You are in a marriage and you feel disappointed. You are feeling disillusioned. You are feeling trapped. Maybe even hopeless. Your Prince Charming became a toad. Or you thought you were marrying Rachel and you woke up and she turned out to be Leah. And you're struggling. So let's circle back to week one. We talked about this triangle of pursuing a vertical marriage, a vertical marriage, and as As we each pursue Christ, as we each grow and focus on becoming the man and the woman that God dreams for us to become, we actually grow closer. So rather than a me marriage, we talked about having a vertical marriage. And that's God's dream for you and for me. You cannot and I cannot fulfill our wedding vows. I can't do it without having love poured into me. The source of love is God. Let's read here Mark chapter 10. You have it in your notes. It's Jesus' teaching. I'm not going to get too deep into the divorce and remarriage part, but listen to this. Some Pharisees came, and they tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them with a question. Well, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can... Give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. Back then it was called an any cause divorce. The wife burns the toast, you're out. I mean, it was any cause. You could leave for any reason. But then look at what Jesus says. Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession for your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. To cleave, to join, to be loyal, to stick together. It's like glued together. That's God's dream. Verse 8, and the two are united into one, two becoming one flesh. Again, this picture of commitment, togetherness, unity. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. This issue of permanence in marriage, that is the biblical view of marriage. Lifelong commitment till death do us part, as long as we both shall try. No, as long as we both shall live. Norm Wright, Dr. Norm Wright, uh, taught at Talbot and Biola for years and years and years. I know Biola's not really a popular uh, college in these neck of the woods because we got Westmont, right? Uh, They're the rival school. But um, actually, my wife Natalie went to Talbot Seminary. Some of you don't know that. And she took a class from Norm Wright on premarital counseling. And here's Norm Wright's definition of marriage. Marriage is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Now, you just sit and soak in that. I'd like to give you five minutes, but I'm not going to, just to sit and soak in that definition of marriage. An unconditional commitment. Oh, that's weighty. Yeah, but what about an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person? Oftentimes we get married and we see the person as perfect. And then in a few weeks, months, years later, you go, oh my gosh, not only is she not perfect or he's not perfect, I'm not perfect. My I have a friend, Craig Gamblegard, he's a pastor, he's also a associate superintendent in the den- our denomination on the East Coast, co- in the East Coast Conference. And Craig's just a couple years ahead of me, and he'd been married for two years, and I was thinking of getting married, and I was a little nervous, so I asked Craig, what's the hardest thing about marriage and about being married? What's the hardest thing? And his response was surprising to hear for me. And this is what he said. The hardest thing about marriage is realizing how selfish I am. Marriage will do that to you. It's like holding up a mirror and you realize, actually, I want the me marriage. (laughs) Problem is, me marriages don't work. And so, unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Unconditional commitment. I want to hold that up as tension. Not to guilt anybody who's divorced, not about that, but this is God's picture of marriage, unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And then you have reality. John Gottman, who we quote here often, he has researched marriages up at the University of Washington in Seattle for over 50 years. And this is what he says. Some people leave a marriage literally by divorcing. Others do so by leading parallel lives Together. That's real right here in this church. Some of you are leading parallel lives. You're married, but you're single. And I know that doesn't sound like that. Those two don't go together. Some of you are experiencing that. You're married, but you're living single lives. And so how... How do we live into the dream? How, how do I honor my commitments? How do I keep my wedding vows and my promises? My quick answer is not on my own. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot live this dream that God has to marry and to make an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. You don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. John, cha- or 1 John chapter 1 419. Listen to this. Just soak in this verse. We love because God loved us first. We love because God loved us first. God is the source of love. And without love being poured into me, I don't have the capacity to love another person unconditionally. And neither do you. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Wow! That's amazing! God generously pours His love and His Spirit into you to give you the capacity to deal with disappointment, to forgive wrongs, to keep your commitments. God pours His love and Holy Spirit into you so those of you right now that are going, I got my exit strategy. Those of you that are going, I can't take it anymore. Those of you that are going, I'm I, I'm hopeless. God has given you his spirit and his love. He's poured it into you every day, not just once, every day when we open our lives to God. He says, I'll pour my love and my spirit into you, giving you the capacity to love a person that's hard to love. Listen to this quote. Love this quote by Tim Keller. He says this, you can only afford to be generous if you actually have some money in the bank to give. In the same way, if your only source of love and meaning is your spouse, then anytime he or she fails you, It will not just cause grief, but a psychological cataclysm. If, however, you know something of the work of the Spirit in your life, you have enough love in the bank to be generous to your spouse, even when you're not getting much affection or kindness in the moment. Now that'll preach right there. That text is really powerful. And what that says to me is, John, the for better or worse, when you're in a season of, and I think there are seasons of marriage, when you're, you know, there are seasons where Natalie and I are in spring and summer. It's warm in the Ireland home. And we're laughing, and we're enjoying each other, and we're, we're just in step. And then fall comes, and winter comes. It just does in every marriage, and it's cold. And you're stepping on each other's feet, and you're not connecting, and you go into silence, or you withdraw, and it's hard. And what is Scripture teaching us, and what is this quote by Tim Keller teaching us? Vertical marriage. The way you get enough money in the bank, love money, to love your spouse is right here. He's giving you the Holy Spirit. Did you, did you hear that? If you know something of the work of the Spirit in your life, you have enough love in the bank to be generous to your spouse even when you're not getting much affection or kindness at the moment. I hope that challenges you. Some of you this morning need to be kicked in the teeth. You just do because you're, you're in a me marriage. And I hope today you walk out of here and go, wow, I, I, I need to open my life to the life giver, the one who can pour his spirit and love into me so I can go home and be generous and kind even though I feel like I'm not getting anything back. Philippians 2.13, Paul writes this. I love this verse. My friend Kurt Holmes said it's his favorite verse in the Bible. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power To do what pleases Him. And you know what pleases God? When husbands and wives love each other unconditionally. That's what pleases God. And God gives you the desire and the power to do that. So let me just take a few moments to walk you through the vows. When I do weddings, these are the vows that we do. For better or worse, for richer and poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to honor As long as we both shall live. For better or worse. Really? Do we really mean that when we get married? I mean, I like the for better part. When Natalie and I are for better, we're flowing, we're laughing, it's warm, there's connection, affection. We're we're in it together. But what about the for worse part? And what are the limits of the for worse part? What are your limits? If you're single today, what, what, what are the deal breakers for you when you get married? If you're divorced and you're thinking about getting remarried, what are the deal breakers for you? Are you clear about those? Well, he's grumpy and irritable. I'm out. Is that your deal breaker? She's sloppy and messy, doesn't pick up the house. We're incompatible. He's got a temper. She's annoying. I mean, what is it? I'm not attracted to him anymore. He put on 30 pounds. I'm out. What's the for worse part for you? What's the for worse part that Scripture teaches? I mean, I think that's really the question. There's a book here called, I'm reading, almost done with it, David Instone Brewer, Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. He also has another one. The first one was Divorce and Remarriage in the Bible. This guy, he's a Brit. He's a research fellow at Tyndale House. But this guy spent his whole career in life um, studying Jewish culture and in the time of Jesus. And has written extensively about it. One of his books is Traditions of the Rabbis from the era of the New Testament. So he's able to do a historical, critical look. And and one of the things he says that I thought was really interesting is he says, some of us have grown up in a Christian tradition. In a Christian tradition where dad could beat up mom, molest the children, and be unemployed for years. But she was not allowed biblically to divorce him. But if he had a one-night stand, she had room for divorce. Like adultery one time is enough. Now just sit in that. He's saying that makes absolutely no sense, but that's how the church has interpreted the words of Jesus and Scripture for years and years and years. And so for those of you this morning that are feeling a sense of guilt or shame because you are divorced, I think he breathes some life and hope into his study. And uh, I love, you know, I got, I got this book uh, recommended by reading John Ortberg, who I really respect his writing up, up in the Bay Area. But, but here's what he says in his book, dealing with divorce and remarriage. He says, God hates divorce because he's a divorcee. Wait, what? Yeah, he says God hates divorce because he actually is a divorcee. He divorced the people of Israel. Read the prophets Ezekiel, Hosea, Jeremiah. God knows the humiliation of rejection, abandonment, betrayal, Spiritual adultery from the people of Israel. And so, in this book, and I I, I recommend it, he says there are three biblical reasons to get a divorce three A's adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Adultery, of course, is infidelity, unfaithfulness. And of course, if we're following Christ, you also know that God forgave Israel more than once. And so just because maybe somebody was unfaithful in a marriage doesn't mean you jump to divorce. He'd say, Jesus also calls us to be forgiving. But when it goes on and on, it's time to get out of that marriage. Abandonment. In that first century culture, the, the wedding vow was about providing Food clothing by both the husband and the wife, and conjugal love, physical affection. And if, if, if that vow was broken, there's a biblical reason for divorce. Abuse. He talks about both emotional and physical abuse. So, so let's just have a pastoral moment. Maybe right now as I say that, somebody in this room's questioning. Am I in an abusive relationship? I'm not sure. How would I know? What crosses the line? What I would encourage you to think about is not to suffer in that alone, number one, but to see a counselor or a confidant. That's why we we, we we encourage you to have close friends that you're walking with God together and be able to say, Am I crazy right now? Is this normal right now? This is what's happening in my marriage right now. Is that, like, have we crossed a line here? Am I safe? Am I unsafe? If you're sleeping with one eye open, you're not safe. And how we define abuse, abandonment, and adultery, I mean, that's where we need to do this in community. Don't do this alone. Do this in community. Talk to somebody on our pastoral staff. Go to a counselor. Speak to a respected mentor, Christian friend, and, 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 and walk together in confidence in that. That's a healthy step to take. Now, let me just say a, another word. There, there may be somebody in this room that's not the victim of abuse, abandoned murder, but, but you're the perpetrator. And right now you're going, if you talk to anybody, Now, if you're sitting next to that person, you need to talk to somebody because that's not a safe relationship. We should be in a marriage where I say to Natalie, you are free to talk to whoever you want about our marriage. If you are feeling abused by me, I hope you'll go see a counselor. I hope that you'll get help. Like that's where freedom is. If you're married to someone who doesn't allow you to do that, that is unhealthy. That's toxic. It's not safe. And there's a reason to separate to get out of that. Are you hearing me? For richer and poorer. So there's for better or worse, richer and poorer. Of course, richer's nicer, although you talk to people that are really wealthy and it can be really hard. And poor, what does that mean? So you're married to someone who doesn't keep a steady job just decides they're going to sit around and watch Netflix and it's your job to go get work and provide for him or her. Is that, is that okay? I don't, you better get in community and talk about it. You married a developer, so your life's either Beverly Hills or bankrupt. I know a lot of people that live that life and they actually have good marriages. They're hard, but they make it work. Some people can't make that work. How about uh, you're married to someone who's got to have those $1,200 Jimmy Choo shoes that you can't afford? I had a friend actually tell me several years ago. We were walking down State Street, and he, he pointed out an outfit, and he said, you see that outfit? I just bought that for $800, and I had no business buying that because my wife and I cannot afford it. And I'm like, so why would you do that? And he said, because she was going to buy it. And I told her we couldn't afford it, but she says, I don't care. You need to make more money. How would you counsel a person like that? Is that okay for a wife to go, I don't need to live within our means. You just need to make more money. That's real life in this church. You just need to make more money is not a biblical response, by the way. For richer and poorer. What does that mean? I love Henry Cloud. If you're not familiar with him, he writes this. He writes about boundaries in marriage. Great book. Boundaries in marriage. Also boundaries with children. Boundaries. He's the boundaries expert. Listen to this. God's solution for, quote, I can't live that way anymore. What is God's solution when you're feeling I can't live that way anymore? He says, God's solution for that, I can't live that way anymore, is basically good. Don't live that way anymore. Set firm limits against toxic, unhealthy, evil behavior that are designed to promote change and redemption. Don't just sit and suffer, create boundaries that lead to redemption, reconciliation, and change. But don't live that way anymore. Anyways, in sickness and in health, you know, what is sickness? What's your out clause there? You married someone who's got mental illness, sleep apnea, depression, a drinking problem, they're bipolar, chronic fatigue syndrome, prescription drug addict. Wow, that sounds like a hoot. And yet, that's happening all over this auditorium. What are the limits? When do you go, they've abandoned me into their addiction. And it's not a black and white for me. This is why we have to do this in community. But I do know that marriage is a covenant. It's a commitment of future love sacrificial love. I don't know what's out there, but I know I'm committing to be there to stick with it and with you in the future. And let me, let me just jump to the end here. To love and to honor. To love and to honor. You know this word love, you know it. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. It chooses sacrifice. It chooses to stay, to stick with it. To honor. It means to value the person you're married to to hold them in high regard. We honor in our marriages by not trying to fix or change him or her. Quick story, I read this in a book called Us. I love this. Robert Foss, he interviewed and photographed 37 couples who'd been married for at least 40 years. 37 couples who have been married for over 40 years. And he discovered this nugget of wisdom to the secret of To a long lasting, healthy, committed, successful marriage. Three words, he said, save a marriage. Three words save a marriage. And they're not, I love you. Three words. Maybe you're right. (laughs) Maybe you're right. When was the last time you said that? You just tucked that away. It works. Maybe you're right. Some of us, we'd rather be right than happy. We've got to be right all the time. When was the last time you said, actually, maybe you're right. I'm going to close with this quote. As long as we both shall live, that last vow, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Tim Keller, we've used this quote before, but it's so good. Think about this. We must say to ourselves something like this. Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think, I am giving myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No. He was in agony and he looked down at us, denying him, abandoning him, and betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed. He stayed he stayed on that cross. He said, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." He loved us not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. Oh, I love that line. He loved us not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. If you keep loving that person, you're it makes them lovely. When Natalie just unconditionally loves me, it makes I can't be hard-hearted to that. I'm going to respond with kindness and love and generosity. He goes on to say, that is why I'm going to love my spouse. Speak to your heart like that and then fulfill the promises you made on your wedding day. Close your eyes. Invite the band to come up. I, I don't know where you're at this morning. I know it's it's commitment's a hard topic but would you would you stand? Let's just all stand together right now And as we stand I' just going to invite you to, to, to open your palms, let this be your posture And would you take just a few moments to say Lord, I want to receive, this morning, the truth of, of your word. For some of you, you need to be released of guilt and shame. You need to step into the freedom that that you got divorced, and you were the victim of that, and God blesses you to move into a new life. Others of you, you weren't the victim. You were the perpetrator, and you got divorced, and 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 maybe you've been beating yourself up with regret. and And I want you to know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's forgiveness. There's redemption. There's reconciliation. Today can be a new day. His mercy's new every morning. Some of you, you're thriving. You're flourishing in your marriage. You might have an issue here or there, but maybe today you simply say, thank you, Lord, for my wife, for my husband. You have blessed me. So take a moment to respond to what you heard this morning with authenticity in your prayer. And Lord, I want to pray for that person in this room right now that's not in a safe marriage. For that person who is in an abusive relationship but they're thinking that the Bible is beating them up, that they have to stay in this and suffer alone. I pray today that the truth of your word would release them to get help, to find safe people. And we pray for healing for for anybody in this room that is an abuser or who has abandoned the marriage or is in an adulterous relationship. I pray for healing, for breakthroughs, for repentance, and for your miracle to happen in this room, all over this room. I believe you can do it. And I pray that the spirit of God would be poured out on every heart in this room. We pray for healing, for hope. Hope, Lord. Move now in Jesus' name in our hearts. And everybody said, amen.